Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swung. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero brought to you by our friends at Armchair Media and our friends at Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on in the world right now. We know there's a lot of stuff going on. Sports have been kind of put by the wayside, but no longer. As you're about to figure out, baseball is coming back. NBA is coming back. Hockey is coming back. The UFC has been back. Their NASCAR's been back. Boxing is still going around. Soccer is back. Everything is back college football professional football set to start on time and bet online has all of the best odds and lines for all the upcoming games and matches so i know you've been missing sports as much as doc and i have so if you want to have a little bit of fun maybe make a little bit of money because you know money's been tight for everybody during this whole quarantine if you want to put up or shut up you want to go to betonline.com today go to bet online they also have simulated nfl nba and ufc fights and games happening live every day if you want to take a little gamble on the virtual side of things, go to betonline.com. They also offer hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and the best prop bets in the business. Go to betonline.ag on your computer or phone and join now to receive your welcome bonus. Betonline.ag, your online wagering experts. Uh, Dylan, if I wanted to go to betonline.ag on my tablet, could I do that? You sure can. If you wanted to go on your phone, your tablet, your Nintendo Switch, whatever. You want to go on your PlayStation, you can. BetOnline.ag. Man, that is fancy stuff. That's great. It needs to be because everybody's been stuck at home with nothing to do. It's a perfect time for innovation. Speaking of innovation, we're going to have a baseball season in 2020, and it is going to be, to put this lightly, kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, there, there's really no other way to describe it. It's just... It is going to be the most bizarre, continuously evolving thing. We're looking at 36.5% of a season. This will be the shortest season in baseball history. But based on the way things have been looking for the past couple of months, 
I would have been happy with a five-game season. This is just, it's not how we wanted it, but we got it. We have baseball happening, and it's starting pretty soon. It's less than a month now. This is great. I mean, it's definitely not how we wanted it. It's definitely not how Major League Baseball wanted it either. I mean, if you were to if you were to take a poll of, of what could be the worst possible outcome for Major League Baseball heading into the 2020 season with everything that was happening, this would have been like DEFCON 5 level. This is the worst thing that can happen other than a season having to get canceled if there's you know any other extenuating circumstances. But just looking at, at what's transpired... There's this is very reminiscent of 1994 for a lot of older folks and for younger people like myself who weren't really, you know, cognizant in 1994. This is the the most contentious it has been between baseball and the owners ever. And this is this is going to be a very I'm going to enjoy this 60 games because it's it's just the fact that I've been without baseball for two and a half, three months. Uh We've been without everything for essentially two and a half, three months. So this is going to feel very, this is going to feel like something that everybody needs. But we are kind of trading off some things here. We are trading some short-term entertainment for some heartache in the long run because just because there's baseball happening does not mean that the MLBPA and MLB actually ended up agreeing, which obviously if Manfred had to impose his shortened season, things are very contentious. The players did manage to win out and that they will I will guarantee you they file a grievance with the sole goal of opening the owner's books before the CBA renegotiations in 2022. So this was just a small little sampler size of what we've got to look forward to after next season. That's the type of thing that's really like hard to keep your finger on the pulse for because it's super dry. And honestly, like those type of negotiations are really boring. But the overarching theme that came out of the last time was that the players got screwed. And a lot of that falls on Tony Clark. And I think that he and the Players Union were both dead set on on kind of undoing some of that screwedness from the last one and setting themselves up to when they go into the next round of negotiations, actually having a little bit of leverage. And even if things had played out behind closed doors the exact same way that they did, it just it seemed so ugly and it felt so dirty because of the negotiation in the media. Everything that happened between Manfred and Tony Clark and the owners and the players and everything, if that had been kept behind closed doors, but it had happened exactly the same way, they'd had all the same talks and everything, and we were none the wiser, then I think a lot a lot of people would be much happier about the way that it's coming. So we are going to have to get used to some really interesting things this year. We finally got the DH in the National League, but it might not be there in 2021. Finally. It's going to be there forever now. It's about dang time. And and there's going to be, there's still the possibility for expanded playoffs. As of now, it's still going to be 10. That part got scuttled as part of the agreement. But the last I saw, the MLBPA uh, has, has said that they are not opposed to expanding that for this year. So there's still some negotiations going on. The runner on second base and extra innings thing is going to be crazy. I remember we talked to Jim Callis about that, like the day that news broke and we collectively all agreed that it was the worst thing that had ever happened. And, but then after that, it was just like, Oh, well, this is just what happens in in the minors now. So a lot of the stuff that happens this year is going to be, will probably go away for 2021 and maybe come back for 2022. If there's not a work stoppage, there's a lot up in the air right now, but for right now, I'm just, we're coming up on the 4th of July and there hasn't been any baseball, but there is about to be some. So Right. Small like, victories. There's a lot more we can talk about with this whole MLB and MLBPA. 
I don't really want to, though, because I'm riding high right now. Because I got baseball back. I don't want to <laughs> yeah, fight. Let's, so. let's talk about happy stuff. <laughs> let's talk about happy stuff. Like, the fact that we are going to get to see at least some semblance of Ronald Acuna's third season. I'm very interested to see. I'm, I'm very excited to see him go 2020 in a 60-game season. Um, it, it does kind of make me a little depressed because you don't know what the loss of one season is going to do to somebody's career numbers. So, like, if Mike Trout finishes out with, like, three home runs less than Barry Bonds in his career, I'm going to be very upset, obviously, because you give him an extra 100 games and you're pretty certain he's going to hit that three. But for for this season, it does kind of bring about a different air because it is so short. It feels like every single game is going to be paramount. There's not going to be really any feeling out process for a lot of these teams. A lot of coaches right now talking about how they're going to let their starters only go, you know, three, three, maybe four innings in the first few starts. I don't think that's going to happen. I think somebody will try that and it will bite them. And then everybody else will be like, oh, all right, better just go all in. I will be curious to see how things work during spring training. As far as I haven't heard a lot about there being games. I think I saw Ken Rosenthal say that teams can schedule up to three spring training games. So there's going to be a lot of, uh, we'll call it independent study for these guys. And ideally, the Sorokas and the Freeds and everybody have been keeping up. They've got elevated workloads. They're throwing side sessions on their own. They're keeping themselves accountable for this. But it's also impossible that somebody went and had a Luis Gohara of an offseason and Austin Riley's going to come back weighing 310 pounds or, or, or pick anybody, really, um, that, could, that could create some really interesting storylines as well. I think it will be wise if they're not doing games to gradually amp up. You know, you don't want Fulty going out and going seven his first outing if his arm's not ready for it. But And this is where having expanded rosters, because for opening day, quote-unquote opening day, then you can have 30, uh, 30 players on the roster, which means you can have a lot more pitchers, you know, much deeper bullpens. This is where, and we have been all talking for years about, oh, what are they going to do with the eight-man rotation once Ian Anderson and Tucker Davidson and all these guys are ready? Well, this is one place where having a million starters works. Because if you want to go Soroka for three and a third innings and then put in Tukey to do two and two-thirds innings and everybody's kind of getting a little bit of a workload, everybody's going to be working with openers a little bit, I think, which which is probably wise. But the Braves are really well set up on both offense and defense, or at least, excuse me, offense and pitching for for this 2020 season. This, this, is, this is something where the fact that Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright and all these guys that people are, are just itching to write off, the fact that they're still around is really going to serve the Braves really, really well, I think. I think so, too. I think one of the interesting things it brings up is, Doc, you and I have been for at least Braves fandom, we've kind of been the forefront for talking about piggybacking starters. I will be very interest, interested to see if that happens with like the four and five slot in the Braves rotation. Because going into spring training, it was a dogfight for that fifth starter spot. We already know that Hamels and Soroka and Freed are locked into roles. We assume Fulty is as well, although I don't think his leash would be nearly as long. The fifth spot was between five people, five different people to have it. This is going to be really interesting to see if in a season where you don't have a lot of leeway to go on any losing streaks or to get right, if you see guys, you know, maybe you see uh, Felix paired with Sean Newcomb or you see uh, Fulty paired with Tucker Davidson or, or something like that where you can bring different looks to teams a lot. It's going to allow you to rest your bullpen a little bit, although the Braves did spend a lot of money on a very high-end bullpen. But it's going to allow the Braves to be 
it's going to allow them to be as creative as Snitker can manage. That's going to be the key here. The Braves have enough pieces to be as creative as they want to be. So it's going to come down to how creative are they going to get and how are they going to approach this. In a normal season, you look at a a four-game losing streak, and you're like, all right, it's not good, but it's not great. In a 60-game season, a four-game losing streak is equivalent to an 11-game losing streak. Uh, Big ups to Steven at Baseball Outliers. For that on Twitter, I uh, saw him say that the other day, and it's one of those kind of weird points that you have to bear into effect. This is a real scenario where teams usually take about a month to really get into the swing of things. You don't have that month. You're going to have teams that are out of the playoff chase after the first two weeks. So the main goal, the, I think the number one priority is get through the first two weeks without being buried. And the Braves have options. They have got options for every position. In addition to talking about how is the fifth starter thing going to shake out, you have 60 different outfielders for guys that, that are ready to contribute right now, not to, not to mention you've got Pache, Waters, and, and Harris that are just bubbling right below the surface there. So, yeah, there's as long as there's not any of those stumbling blocks like last year. Braves got swept opening weekend. They recovered, and they beat the Cubs in the, in the next series, but that right there, that is like... That's almost a nail in the coffin before you're before you're out of the first week. So I think the fact that you know there was some turnover, like there's no Josh Donaldson and they brought in Ozuna and they've got Hamels and they brought in Will Smith, but for the most part, your core guys, your Freemans, your Albies and your and Acunas and and Dansby and everybody, those guys are all still there. They're very familiar with each other. There's not going to be that awkward or quite as awkward of a getting to know you process. As far as clubhouse chemistry, we joke about veteran presence and whether or not it's actually important or not. But I think the cohesiveness of last year's team and most of those pieces coming back, I think that's going to benefit the Braves a lot. I, you, I look at a team like the Cubs, who just brought in David Ross, and a team like the Phillies, uh, to use it, somebody who's in our division. They just brought in Joe Girardi, and, and they got Wheeler, and they, they got Didi Gregorius. I mean, they, they are experiencing changes like from the top, and the Braves have had Snit in place for years, and he's worked with all of these guys. I think that's going to be something really, really beneficial for Atlanta. But you're right, man. There's no time, there's no time to screw around. And if, if something's not working in the third inning for somebody, you're going to see a much quicker hook, I think, than you would have seen in previous years. Because like you said, you can't, you can't just wait for somebody to figure out. You can't wait for Fulte's slider to, to come back out in the fourth inning or something. If he's if he's struggling, pull him, put in Tukey, put in Felix, put in Newcomb or, or somebody. And I'm kind of okay with it. And we're all going to have to just embrace the weird. I like the fact that there seems to be an overwhelming sense of this is weird, but for now, whatever. I'm seeing that sentiment more than I thought I would. I've A lot of people were kind of overplaying their hand a little bit leading up to this. Oh, I'm not going to watch baseball at all. This sucks. I'm going to, you know, if you, if you do the runner on second base rule, then I'm never going to watch another baseball game. And then it's like, Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm so glad baseball is back. Whatever. Put them on third. I don't care. (laughs) I'm going to make a lot of statements, but I'm also not going to follow through with them because it's it's still baseball. But I mean, there's a lot of things that I hate seeing like that runner on second base rule. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's not going to actually help the pace of play. It's just going to lead into this stupid thing where people are going to think, you know what that rule is going to do? You know what that rule is really for? The people that love small ball, now at least you can watch it in extra innings because thankfully we don't have to watch it anymore in big league games. I, I almost feel like since they added in the universal DH, they threw in that rule so the weird cult following that loves bunting 
can still have some sort of bunting to watch for whatever reason. They'll talk about how what high strategy is it is, despite the fact that everybody's going to approach it in the exact same way. Bunt the runner over to third and then try to hit a sack fly. Like it's 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 all that's going to happen. But you know, whatever. Um, it's not going to affect a lot of games. It's still a stupid rule, and I don't want to see it come into effect permanently. Um, well, let me let me say this. Let me say this. I have never once been excited about a thirteen inning game. You know what I mean? Like there comes a point, and I know that this is sacrilege, but I would I've been saying that I wanted the DH in the National League since I was like eight years old. So I'm going to say this: I would be okay with ties after a certain. Uh, but and and I understand. Uh, but look, dude, and especially in the minors, do you remember back in 2016 when the Rome Braves were playing 16 inning games like regularly? And this ruins everything. This ruins everything for everybody. And including, it's not just the players. It's also like the people that work at the stadium. You uh, know people what I mean? That work, just from the radio perspective here, it sucks to have an extra inning game if you're the one working the Braves game on the board. Because then obviously you're, just, you're not getting paid any extra. You're just sitting there until the game's over with. Same thing with rain delays. But ties aren't real. There's always a winner and there's always a loser. And I'm just, just the competitor in me there's a fundamental part of me that just disagrees with just saying, all right, it's a tie. Just do something. I mean, have a pick a player and get five swings. Whoever hits more out wins. I don't know, but no. And that would be, that would be awesome. I mean, you could set it up kind of like a hockey shootout, but let me, let me refine my statement. If it's between starting extra innings with a runner on second and having a tie, just give me the tie. I'm I'm fine yeah. with the tie. You can factor it into winning percentage somehow in the same way they, that they they do with hockey or with football. Whatever, I'm fine with it. But I'd prefer come, neither. Yeah. I'd prefer I'd prefer that was one that didn't even get discussed because I don't know why that's Manfred's pet project because it it does nothing for pace of play. It does nothing for time of games. I'm not really sure. Like, what is it like eleven games a year that end up going beyond thirteen innings anyway? It's it's not like there's that many games that do that. So I I I don't understand it, but whatever. I I guess that's not really a point that's worth fighting about. I mean, as long as we're being honest here, I'm perfectly okay with ads being on the jerseys if that allows. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, I got a lot of pushback from that. Surprisingly, um, or I was surprised. I understand like jerseys look so clean with no ads, uh, but if allowing ads onto jerseys were to say allow the players. Uh, a better piece of the pie in 2022 or something like that, then I'm all for that. I don't like that doesn't bother me, but things like I'm, I'm against an automated strike zone. I'm against, you know, I'm a, I'm against the runner on second base rule. Those are, I, I just, I don't like those rules. I don't know. It's ultimately it's going to come down to preference, but we're really here just to talk about the Braves. So in speaking about the Braves, that second, that runner on second rule, that's not going to really affect the Braves. Uh, if we do lose a game because of it, I'm going to be very angry and very vocal, but we're probably not going to ever be affected by that. Um, one of the things that will affect the Braves is the implementation of the DH, and it helps a lot with the Braves. I mean, this whole offseason before the whole COVID thing ended up happening, right before the season started, you and I had just started really talking about how everything was looking at playing out. We went into spring training knowing it was going to be a battle between Camargo and Austin Riley. Marquecas would be on the bench. Duvall would be on the bench. And your starting outfield, for the most part, would have been Ozuna, Ender, and Acuna. Now you throw in the implementation of a DH, and it takes away for it takes away watching the battles as closely. Now I just, me personally, I just turn closer to Snicker because now you kind of have to 
hope Snicker plays it right, but it does help the Braves because now you can carry Riley and Camargo on the same roster. You don't have to worry about, oh, well, Riley needs to get some every day at bats. Now you've got an extra slot in the lineup that he can get at bats every day. You've got spaces where you can work in Marcakis as a DH so you're not having to deal with him in the field because he's a horrible fielder. I don't care what Mark Bowman says. Um, Nick is a horrible fielder. And literally every statistic except for 2019 outs above average shows that Nick is not a good fielder. Uh, Duvall is a great fielder, but he's useless against right-handed guys. So now you can have a situation where he can play against lefties and Ozuna can DH. It also helps Ozuna stay off his feet a little bit. There's a lot of things that can happen with this DH that the Braves were really set up about as well as anybody in the National League, maybe aside from the Mets who can now use Cano as their DH and not have to use that thousand-year-old knee in the field. There's a lot of different things that can happen now. I'm very excited about this one because I don't have to watch Fulte swing ever again. But two, because it does help with some of these depth issues, it does raise one other question for me uh, that I'll, I'll ask after this, but I do want to get your thoughts on how the Braves are set up for the DH. Honestly, aside from the Dodgers, probably as good as anybody in the National League, you know, Austin Riley versus Johan Camargo, we talked about it a lot in the offseason, and both had plenty of stuff to work on, and they both did what they needed to work on, and they showed up, and they were both, you could have given the job to either of them, and they both would have earned it. And I still kind of get the feeling Camargo is going to be left out in the cold here. Uh, just based on the fact that in 2019, he was supposed to be the utility guy, and you're seeing D.O.B. and Bowman and, and Gabe and everybody throwing throwing out like, oh, Camargo's going to get moved around. Yeah, well, we heard that last year. I, I hate to take the stance of I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, but kind of. The actual D.H. position is going to kind of be evolving. It's not going to be like, you know, Marquecas is going to be in the outfield and Ozuna is going to DH every day. I do like the idea of kind of rotating that a little bit. Even if you're using the same nine guys in the lineup, if you're able to every every couple of days, you know, maybe Freddie just DHs one day and you let you plug somebody else in over at first. You you get Riley over at first, you put Camargo at third and Freddie can DH. So if he's still got any lingering elbow stuff. And I want to talk about Marquecas DHing for a second, okay? The most polarizing figure. He's just the most polarizing figure. We don't have to have to get into why. But as a hitter, as far as being like a pure hitter, Nick Markakis might be top three on this team, maybe even higher than that. I'm not talking about power. I'm not talking about anything like that. But if the, if the game is on the line and you need somebody to come up and get a hit, I actually think I might want Markakis up there more than anybody else. So if he's playing DH and it keeps him out of the field, I'm probably okay with that. Not not hitting fifth and not every single day, but the biggest ding on him is he he does not have a great arm and he doesn't have a lot of range. Even if you're a Nick Markakis fan, you can acknowledge these things, okay? Like you don't like all of your favorite band's songs, right? You you can you can acknowledge that the, even your favorite things are not not perfect. So I wouldn't hate that. I Duval say what you will about Gold Gloves, he's got some and he can hit for power. He will be used much more against lefties. This just everywhere you look, there is some there's some option to to give guys regular days off, which 2019 we saw it. We saw guys start to fade. So this is a blessing. And and I really hope that 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 it comes back for 2021. I hope that it's here to stay because I do feel like it would be weird to go 
46 years not having it, then have it for one season, then not have it, and then have it again. Just implement it full time. There and there's there's no reason to go back after after this season. But yeah, I I think the the Braves are very well equipped. If we'd already had it, then we'd still have Josh Donaldson on the team. Yeah. But well. to your to your Nick Markakis point, I don't I don't want this to sound like I'm arguing with you just to argue, but are you aware that Marcakis against righties in 2019 was what was it 112 WRC plus, which is you know it's it's not bad. It's it's a slightly above average, not much above average, compared to Johan Camargo's against right-handed in 2018. The last time he got full season at bats was 118. So there's not a large gap. I understand what you're saying because Marcakis is not going to strike out, but to me that would be the time when you need somebody to come up and make contact with a ball that would be when you throw in a pinch hitter. So you see a double switch, for instance, with a DH, which is something you don't always see all that often. But for this Braves team, because I, I agree with you, if you need somebody that's going to make contact and just not strike out, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better person for the job than Marcakis. But even when he's going right, he's not really much of an impact at all offensively, even against the people that he's better at hitting against. I just think there's better options. Plus, I don't want to sacrifice having Riley or Camargo. It's really going to depend on how they start out. If Camargo comes out and starts like he did last year, then this isn't going to be an issue because he'll be on the bench. Um, if he if he ends up starting like he did in 2018 or like he was doing this spring training, then I don't want to see him and Riley sacrificed so Marcakis can play against every right-handed person as a DH. You know what I mean? No, ab- absolutely, and and part of my statement might be um, kind of just stealing myself against the fact that I'm expecting the Marquez play to play more than I would want him to play. I agree. But, I think he's going to play over thirty games. I mean, God, you're you're legitimately looking at a team with with five different guys that that could start, um, and when you got a guy who's who's got the manager's ear. You know, somebody who the manager has a soft spot for, you kind of have to make room for him. And on my biggest thing isn't isn't so much Marcakis's bat. You put Nick Marcakis at DH, batting seventh. That's that's it's fine. just a weird. That it's will, not a traditional. Fine. It's not a traditional DH at all. Like it's like the anti DH of DHs, where it's like there's no power. He's he's just kind of a singles guy. Like it's it's not. It's not your CJ Crone, I guess I could say, but that comes with the territory of I wish we had known that there was going to be a DH, you know, at the beginning of the season. I wish we hadn't had to worry about implementing it this season, that it was already a thing so that you could already have an effective DH. And by the way, I'm sorry to burst anybody's bubble on this, but I'll be the bad guy here. Bryce Ball is not going to be your DH in 2020. He's not going to be your DH in 2021. He's most likely not going to be your DH in 2022. Well, I'm glad I didn't have to say it. <laughs> Maybe 2022. Maybe if Mackay Backstrom hasn't already come on and exploded onto the scene, we'll see. Um, but it's definitely not going to be 2020, and it's not going to be 2021 for Bryce Ball. He's never played above low A, so let's calm down just a bit and let him face some actual off-speed pitches before we start trying to Scott Thorman him and just throw him into the lineup. Um, yeah, and and we love Bryce Ball on this show. Oh, I don't I don't want anybody to think that we are like saying that he's no good. He's just he's just too far away. And and it this it happens every year. Spring training, there's there's always a guy. People fall in love with a guy. And for the the prospect enthusiasts and people that really track the draft like we do, like we we knew about about Bryce Ball as soon as as soon as he bursts onto the scene, but spring training for a lot of people that are 
not as obsessive as we are. Like, that was their first time to really see him. And he's a giant dude, and he looks like he's older than 21. You know, he he looks, he's got that big league body. He just needs a little bit more seasoning. It's nice to see that people are starting to notice some of the other prospects, but it is more because Bryce Ball just looks like a guard. He looks like Joey Gallo. He's just a big, gigantic human being that hits the ball a very, very long way. But this season, I think it's pretty safe to say Riley most likely will be playing DH. If everything goes according to the Braves' plans, if everything goes according to Alex Anthopoulos' plans, Riley will be playing DH. Camargo will be starting a third. Ozuna will stay starting in left field because, again, despite whatever people want to say because they see a gif of one bad play by Marcel Ozuna, Marcel Ozuna is a traditionally a good, a, a, an above-average left fielder. Yes, his arm is weak after surgery in 2017. Nobody's debating that. But there's a whole lot more to actually being a defender than being able to catch the ball that hits you in the glove. And when you compare the two, this is why when I look at defensive numbers, I don't like people that only go to OAA because outs above average is fantastic. It combines a lot of things, and it's very, very promising. It is also terribly new, and it is horrific in one season samples because you get things like when just looking at Marcelo Zunas, I believe his last four years on outs above averages like positive two, positive one, negative one, negative eight. And you just have these weird, really large outliers that when you look across the board, even if you look at Ozuna's 2019, you look everywhere. His DRS is positive. His range is, his UZR over 150 is huge, like very, very much positive. The only thing that he wasn't good at, one was his first step, like his route running, but his sprint speed is above average. When you're looking at the two players and you're comparing Ozuna versus Marquecas about who should start in the field, don't just look at one stat. You got to kind of look at the combination. If you see one player is ahead in 99% of the categories, that's probably the guy that should play defense. Sure, and and this is the benefit of having fan graphs and B ref and uh, whoa 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 we don't use B ref anymore. Aubrey Huff uses B ref, so that should let you know you right took there. the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> but the point point being, you you have all of these different places and uh, you know baseball prospectus. There's there's all these different sites and sources that will you can get information from. And if you rely too much on fan graphs, like I, I rely on fan graphs a all lot. the time, all the time. My first place to go to. If they had an app, I'd be on it twenty four seven immediately. But but you also you know you can be deceived by 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 these numbers. So just look around, and that's that's for that's not just for baseball. Like don't just rely on one source for things, you know, because the the truth. The truth is out there, right? You just you just have to find it, and you're not going to get it from from one individual source. So look around and know know what you're looking at. So, you know, the eye test. Look, let's be honest. That play that everybody knows about Marcelo Zuna, it was bad. There's no sugarcoating it. It was horrible, and he he is much more notorious for like the um, the boneheaded play. The bonehead plays. Yeah, I mean, there's really not a better way to put it than that. But as far as like your routine stuff. I mean, Very much I like you went to Cespedes, I think we can say. Because Cespedes and Puig, both the exact same way. They're both thought of as very bad defenders. Cespedes was not always a bad defender. As a matter of fact, he came up playing center field. But there's enough boneheaded plays between him and Puig where some people who only see those highlights are like, wow, this guy sucks defensively, when it's not really the case. 
Right, and nobody's got time to comb through six years of Marcelo Ozuna's defensive highlight, or not even the highlights, just the standard plays. Like, and Ozuna ranges to his left, and he'll get that one with no problems. Nobody cares that he did a thousand of those. He climbed a wall and had to dive, and he hurt himself. I mean, honestly, he was still playing <laughs> for the Cardinals when he did it, so it was hilarious. But right. he's one of us now. We should right. <laughs> we should be defending him. I mean, it's just it's one of those. I just get very tired of of seeing. People, uh, people who who know better, people who should know better, who have the time and are paid for their ability to actually speak on a topic, and they're unwilling to do even five seconds of research into a topic. Um, that kind of gets me a little bit. I don't really appreciate that much. That's to me, that's that's being very lazy when you're paid to talk about this. And there's a lot of people that rely on you for your for their information because they don't know enough themselves and you can't take five minutes to go look at something. That's a different topic for another day. That has nothing to do with baseball. That has everything to do with baseball writers. And that is a long list of problems I have with them. Uh, but just good, getting back to the Braves, um, if I were to ask you who are going to be the main five starters this year, assuming we know the first three, who's going to be the four and five? Man... Okay, so so we're looking at Soroka, Freed, and Hamels as the, as the three that are Obviously. entrenched, right? Yeah, and I think I think Fulty's in. I mean, as long as he doesn't get hurt, I think that they're going to give him as much rope as they can. And man, I really like the idea of Sean Newcomb stretching back out, and I really thought that Felix Hernandez looked a lot better than I thought he was going to when the Braves first signed him. But dude, I think Kyle Wright. I, I think they're going to use more than five, especially at the beginning. But I think if they were going to keep it at just five, I think Wright gets it. He looked so good. He just really looked like he had taken a giant step forward. Now, granted, he looked great in spring training 2019 as well. But there was something different about the way that his pitches were moving. There was something about, different about the results. I think the sequencing was better, for sure. His sequ- his sequencing was better, for sure. And, and it just takes some guys some time. You know, I think he finally has had enough of a taste, and you saw some success out of him at the end of the year last year as well, and it actually carried over. So I think he would be my number five. And I think Felix and Newcomb will will get starts, but I don't think it'll be... I think those will be the core five. Now, so you get Soroka, Freed, and Hamels. Who are your four and five? I agree Fulte's going to get the first crack. Um... I think they want Fulton because of what happened in 2018. Obviously, you don't want to say, crap, we missed our window to move this guy when he was actually decent. You don't want it to be a Jair Jurgen situation. So I, I fully believe Fulton's going to get the first crack. Um, I'm not certain he'll hold on to it because Fulton's kind of an up-and-down guy, and in this season you don't really have time for ups and downs. I think if you're looking at a guy who's kind of tailor-made to split time with somebody, it would be Fulty and Newcomb. I think that they're two guys that are pretty similar in their approaches. When they're on, they're really, really good, and when they're not on, they're really, really bad. Um, but I'll say Fulty gets the first crack through, and I think he's got... I don't think it's a long leash at all. We know from last year that they're not afraid to demote him. Um, I think they'll roll with Felix out of the gate more for veteran deference, and, and because Felix did not lose the job in spring training, but I agree, I think it's Kyle Wright who's going to be ending the season in the rotation. I think Kyle Wright's a guy that the Braves have been counting on. They were counting on him last year. Last year was not part of the plan for him to come up and be as bad as he was. The 
plan last year was for them to make it long enough for Wright to be ready and for him to come in and take that spot. And he just it just never worked out for him or really anybody else they tried in that fifth spot because they tried it with Tukey and with Newcomb. Um, but I think Wright kind of ditching the curveball to focus a little bit more on his slider, discovering with a couple of little mechanical tweaks that his slider is now like an elite level slider when you're talking about the RPMs and, and its spin rate. I believe it's it's up over 3,000, up close to 4,000 if I'm not mistaken. Um, his slider is really, really excellent. He's been using the two seam a little bit more than the four, but if he's able to use his sequencing a little bit better and get less predictable with his fastball, that'll make the fastball play up. I think Wright is probably the best bet. I'm still going to say a dark horse is Tucker Davidson. Uh, I think he's a little bit farther down the list, but I would not be shocked if he comes in and starts dealing for a couple outings to see him get you know, three or four starts this year either. I know there's a lot of people in the Braves organization that are very, very high on Tucker Davidson. There's a couple things they're wanting to see, like can he kind of can he control the walk rate a little bit, which has kind of been his bugaboo. But you got to figure last year he just started throwing 100 miles an hour, and that could contribute a little bit to some of the walk issues. I know there's a lot of fans of him. Um, but if I were to take bets on how the rotation is going to finish after the 60 games, I think you'll have in some semblance of order, Soroka, Freed, Hamels, or Hamels, Freed. You can swap those two either way. Fulty, and then Kyle Wright. Let me just say, I would not be shocked if Sean Newcomb ends up in the rotation in place of Fulton Evich. I could see it. Well, and, and I would be curious to know, too, if have finally, after all the years of pontificating, whether Fulty, and th- this is after after a 2018 All Star campaign, you know, is it finally time to put Fulty in the bullpen? You know, if, is that if he doesn't make it as a starter, is it finally time that they do that? Or if we haven't, if we him? hadn't, if we hadn't spent all that money on the bullpen, then I'd say yeah, it's a good fallback. But I mean, the Braves just spent a metric crapload on their bullpen. They feel great about everybody in their bullpen right now. Yeah, true. So the and. You also, I suppose it's still up in the air about where, where Newcomb actually lands, because he could make that final push, you know, and there's going to be a lot of baseball stuff that happens between now and the start of the season that we're not going to see. Like I said, they're talking about scheduling just a couple of games, so, you know, we'll be lucky if any of them are televised, so we'll we'll get some reports out of camp, but we're just going to kind of have to go on, on other people's eye tests and just go on faith that we're getting accurate information from the beat writers. So, I mean, if we could we could find out that, that Fulty... Uh, it gets in, put in the bullpen to start the season, and Newcomb is in the rotation because they want to put three lefties in there with with Freed and Hamels and and Nuke. Uh, Tukey could step up. Man, Tukey looked great too. Like this is this is a great problem. This goes back to what we were talking about with the DH. Like as far as having a deep roster, we're not the Dodgers, but there's so much more depth this year, even than last year. That props to the front office for for recognizing where the hole was and and getting out ahead of it. So man, this mm, I'm gonna say it. This could be the year. Like this this year is gonna be so bizarre. I mean anything can happen this year. I mean the Orioles aren't gonna win the World Series. Like the Tigers aren't gonna win the Central. But this team, for all of the reasons we've spent the last how long have we been talking? 30, 37, 38 minutes? Like all the reasons that we laid out, the depth and the, you know, the all of the pitching and everything. This team is equipped to make a deep run. If not for some just horrible, 
horrible happenings at the end of last year. Last year they were equipped to make a deep run too, and they're deeper now than they were last year. You know, Ozuna's not Donaldson, but the bullpen is way better. Starting the season, think about how many games were lost at the start of last year because of a shoddy bullpen. They've, they've, man, this could be it, dude. This could be it. Braves do well with shortened seasons. I And people are going to crap all over and say, oh, that doesn't count. Do you know? Oh, it'll count the, for me. Oh, oh, pff, get out of here for the rest of my life. I will tell everybody about how we won the 2020 season. I'll never mention it was only 60 games. You know, <laughs> if the Mets win it, it does not count. If the Phillies win it, it does not count. If we win, it counts forever. And we're it all counts. And, it counts, and the curse is broken forever. And TPS will officially be the greatest podcast in the history of the world. We just have to win the division to to now get to three straight years that we we have never done a season here at TPS where we did not win the division. So you're welcome. We're just you are welcome. So visit our Patreon for that reason. Speaking of winning and future seasons, we are coming up on that time where we do have to cut it short for today. There's a lot of topics that we didn't quite get to today, uh, but we need to save some content for next week. We'll take a look at the trade deadline uh, being pushed to August 31st, what that could mean in this shortened season, as well as a few other little nitpicky things I might have to talk about this shortened season. I don't know. We'll see where next week takes us, but for now, I'm going to leave this off on a very happy note. So like the rest of you guys, I am so relieved that baseball's back. We are closing in again on seeing baseball in 2020. Very happy that everybody was able to stick it out and uh, we'll see some semblance of Braves baseball. It won't be exactly what we wanted, but then again, the Rolling Stones said it best. Just take what you can get, which is the real meaning of that song. So Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you guys for sticking with us. We understand it's been a while since we did an episode together. I think Doc and I were both protesting the no baseball thing in our own separate ways, but Doc, it's great to have you back, buddy. Hey, man, this is, uh, it's been a weird couple months. You know, we, we did an episode every week for, God, two straight years, and now we've been just kind of getting to it when we could get to it, but good news, guys, we are going to start doing episodes every week again, at least I think so. I say that. We haven't actually discussed that, but I think that's how it's going to be. We say so. that until Baby Carter comes, and then we'll see how things kind of turn out. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we will have to get Gaurav Vidak to step in and uh, you know possibly co-host a couple episodes here. Whatever we got to do, man. We're just we're just so happy. I know that you know you um you hit the nail on the head, man. We're we're just ready to ready to be back in it. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna go listen to the Rolling Stones. Ready to listen to the crack of the bat. Can't always get what you want, but. Just appreciate what you've got. So thank you, everybody out there. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. We will be back next week. Feels like a while since we've been able to say that. Right here on the Platinum Sombrero.